We do extend a word of welcome to each one to our service here tonight. Uh, we welcome you in the Savior's name, uh, trusting the Lord's blessing. We welcome those who are visiting with us and those who are watching online as well. Uh, may we know the blessing of the Lord uh, this evening. We've enjoyed uh, some piano music so far. We're thankful for that. And we're going to uh, worship the Lord by singing his praises. Uh, the hymn number 28, uh, the hymn 28, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hand hath made. The hymn 28, and we'll stand as we sing, please.
may be seated. We're going to turn in the Word of God to just one verse this evening, Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15, and the verse 11, and this verse ties in with what we have just sang together concerning the greatness of our God, His wonder and His majesty. And Exodus chapter 15, the verse 11, the Word of God says, it's the song of Moses, the children of Israel, they have went across the Red Sea. The power of God has been displayed. God has delivered them from their Egyptians. And then uh, they sing in verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of this verse to our hearts tonight. And let us unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord's face as we come and as we worship him. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, and we rejoice tonight that we can come into the presence of the living and true God of heaven. We rejoice, Father, we can lift our voices to Thee in praise. We thank Thee for this hymn that we have sang together that reminds us so much of who Thou art and what Thou hast done. We see Thy power and we see Thy handiwork and we see the work of Thy hands in creation. And we rejoice as we gaze around this visible world that we see uh, the great evidence that there is a God and that there is a creator. And we rejoice, Father, tonight in thy works. And we think of the scriptures that remind us and instruct us concerning all of thy works. We rejoice in thy work of mercy, thy work of grace. And we think of redemption. We rejoice, Father, tonight in thy work of redemption. We rejoice we can be here this evening worshiping thee and lifting our voices to thee with joy and gladness in our hearts because thou hast delivered us, thou hast redeemed us, thou hast saved us. And Father, we thank thee that as thy people we have a right to shout and sing because of what thou hast done for us through thy Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, tonight as we gather to meet with Thee, we pray for Thy blessing to be upon us. We need Thy help. We need Thy presence. We need the power of Thy Spirit here amongst us. And Father, we cry to Thee that Thou would meet with us. That we would know the speaking voice of our God. And that Thy Word would indeed be to our hearts the wonderful words of life. And that those here outside of the kingdom of God, those here who have and no personal knowledge or experience of Christ being their Savior, of repenting, of placing their faith in Christ. Father, speak with them. Draw them to thyself, we pray. We thank thee that salvation is of the Lord. And we pray tonight that as we seek to point to Christ, and as we seek to relate something of the great message of the gospel of our God, Father, thou would apply it to hearts and lives 
and draw sinners unto thyself. We pray for our time of fellowship after this service. Thou would bless it to the honor and glory of thy name. And may uh, we know uh, the blessing of the Lord upon us. Father, we uh, do uh, remember the needs that we have here as a congregation. We lay them before thee, those who are in need. We remember, Father, as well, the great need of the gospel in our land and in our area. We remember the radio broadcast. We think of the Reverend Colliger who uh, ministers and does uh, the majority uh, of that work uh, day by day preaching on the radio. And uh, we think, Father, of the message from this pulpit that goes out on the Lord's Day morning. We pray that would bless these endeavors in the gospel of Christ to the glory of thy name, to the extension of thy kingdom, to the saving of precious souls. Father, give us opportunities as thy people to witness for thee and to speak a word for Christ and to say something of the great Savior who is mighty to save. May we not be ashamed of Christ. May we not be ashamed of thy gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so, Father, tonight we confess our sins to thee. We pray that thou would be pleased to continue to lead and guide us in that righteous path, to flee sin, to flee iniquity, to live for Christ with all of our hearts, to put thee first. And, Father, may we glorify thy name. Bless us tonight, we pray. Bless us as we continue in thy praise. And as we consider the living word of God, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals, 398. 398, I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the furthest of 10,000 to my soul. 398, the lily of the valley. And we'll stand again as we sing, please.
seated. We're turning in the Word of God tonight to the Psalm 96, the Psalm 96, and we are moving on in our series, Preaching Through the Catechism, dealing a little with some of the truths we have in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and not uh, by any means giving a full, in-depth theological uh, sermon on those things, but looking at some of those uh, aspects, those doctrines in the Catechism, and uh, tonight uh, we're dealing with God and God's attributes, and I think tonight uh, we could explain our preaching as going everywhere, uh, preaching the Word of God, and I think there are many passages we will be looking at, uh, verses of Scripture uh, that uh, tie into those attributes. Uh, there's not any one particular text, uh, but we're going to read Psalm 96, and it is a psalm that praises God, uh, that lifts him up. And tonight in the Word of God, as we consider uh, the message, that is what we desire to do, to lift him up, uh, to show him as he is, and to rejoice in the God of our gospel. Psalm 96, and the Word of God says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The Lord also shall be established, that it shall, the world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful, and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious, infallible, and inerrant word this evening. We do extend again a word of welcome to each one, to those visiting and to those who are watching online. Uh, we trust that as we gather together, the Lord will bless us and as we consider his precious word uh, tonight. Do remember that immediately after this meeting downstairs in our basement, uh, there are some refreshments uh, provided and a time of fellowship. Uh, so don't be rushing away home, uh, but do stay behind, have something to eat have something to drink, and have fellowship with us, and we trust that it would be a blessing uh, to each one. 
Our Bible study and prayer meeting takes place in the prayer room in the basement on 7, at 7.30 on Wednesday evening. Uh, do remember that. We also meet on Zoom, and so uh, the link will be going out probably Wednesday, 9 a.m., and so do remember that. Uh, Saturday, uh, we have our men's prayer meeting at 7.30. Uh, we'll be meeting in the church basement. Again, that goes out via Zoom around 9 o'clock uh, Saturday morning, I'm aiming for. And so uh, do uh, remember that. If you can come in person, uh, there is that online alternative. Next Lord's Day, we have a Sunday school in the morning. And that is for the children downstairs, the adults here. We'll be considering our baptism and membership course and moving on to uh, mention and deal with the Lord's Supper. And so do uh, remember that. At 10.30 a.m., we have our morning worship with our time around the table of the Lord for those who know and love him and are seeking to walk in his ways. And we will remember his death till he come. At 5.30, we have our prayer meeting and then 6 p.m., our evening worship. And it does say in the bulletin, fellowship and refreshments, that is tonight. It is not next week. You're welcome to bring something next week and have fellowship. Uh, but officially, uh, we won't be doing that next week. Uh, that is a mistake in the bulletin. On Sunday the 8th of October at 1.45, we're meeting in the Langley Lodge Care Home. And we're having our monthly service there. It's been changed because of the long weekend. And the time has been adjusted as well. So those who do come and do help do be aware of that. We had a blessed time last month or this month as we gathered there. There was a good crowd of us, a good crowd of those who live in that home. And so we're looking forward to meeting with them again. These are all the announcements. They're subject to the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 364. 364, the way of the cross leads home. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. We'll remain seated while our tithes for the Lord's work are received, please. pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we ask that you would meet with us this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We ask that you would take our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, that they would be used to help your people, that it would be used to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus, and we ask that you would speak to us this evening as well. Bless our pastor, give him the words to speak, and we ask that each one would hear a message from thee. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand the same. We'll sing verse 2, verse 3, the last. 
two verses. Standing, please. seated. Turning in the Word of God tonight to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture here. Romans chapter 1. Uh, can I thank uh, Jean for playing tonight? And we are encouraged uh, to see uh, him helping us in that way. And uh, we thank him for that. And it's good uh, to see him serving the Lord uh, by playing the piano for us. I believe it's the first time I think he's played all ser- for all the service. Certainly in my time here, it is the first time he's played for all the service. And so uh, that's good. I- I'm not sure uh, whether his father's thinking of retiring or not. Uh, but if he is, there's a good replacement. And, and I think certainly there's others as well uh, there who we've already heard tonight. We rejoice in their help in that way. Uh, Brother, you're not retiring just yet. Uh, We'll keep you on a little while longer. Uh, But it's good to see uh, a family and uh, young people serving the Lord in this way. We're encouraged by it. And uh, we trust the Lord uh, will bless them uh, for their help as we worship uh, tonight. Romans chapter 1, if you have your bulletin with you, you'll notice that the sermon outline is on the back of the bulletin. The good news is the sermon outline is there for you to follow. Uh, The bad news is there's an extra point. So there are eight points and not seven. And before you think, well, if there's something in the oven downstairs, it's going to burn. Or, you know, you're hoping there's going to be a lot of food because you're going to be here a while. Uh, Think again. We're not going to preach uh, eight points in an hour and a half. Uh, It will be the length of a normal sermon. If we need to uh, split things up and come back to this next week, we can do that. Uh, But we'll see how the Lord leads, and uh, we'll uh, move through uh, these points. Uh, So there are eight points, not seven, but that's not something to be uh, scared about tonight. 
And so let us pray and let us seek the Lord and let us ask for his blessing as we come to his word. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word, for thy truth. We pray thou would bless it to us tonight. And though we have much to consider, uh, we pray that uh, thou would uh, give us that attention and that diligence as we come to the word of God. Father, teach us, instruct us, and instruct us in the way of salvation, we pray. May we know uh, the power of Christ seen here in the gospel. And in our own lives, we pray that each one would know the forgiveness of sins and know that salvation that comes from Christ alone. Father, bless us tonight. Meet our needs. And do our souls good, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 1, the verse 16. And the apostle says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation. One of the biggest questions that you can ask in this world concerns the existence and the identity of God. And we will come and consider God's existence on another occasion. But it is interesting to note that uh, the Shorter Catechism does not seek to establish the existence of God at the very commencement of its doctrine. It acknowledges from the very first question that God exists without seeking to prove his existence. In other words, the Westminster Divines, as they penned that catechism in the 1640s, God exists. That's not something we have to debate or something we have to prove. And they move forward on that foundation, God exists. And we see that in the catechism. And they move forward with that assumption, that belief that the God of heaven exists. And scripture is like that. When we consider the word of God, Genesis 1, it does not set out to prove the existence of God or how God can exist. But it simply states that there is a God. In the beginning, God. God exists. There's no argument, no debate, no discussion. God exists. And man, because of his sinful blindness and depravity, will debate and deny the existence of God. And that will form part of our teaching later on. But for now, we operate on that principle and that principle tonight. God exists. God is real. And we will consider that later on. But the Catechism has taught life-changing truths so far and has founded those truths on this principle that God exists. And so we come this evening to consider the scope of this truth in the sense of who exactly is God? Who exactly is God? The Shorter Catechism asks, what is God? And they seek to give a definition of who God is. And the answer is simple. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It's simple, but yet it is deep. And there are many great truths there concerning the existence and the character of the God of heaven. And the Catechism seeks to condense the teaching of Scripture concerning the person of God into a sentence that we can understand. Now we need to think on this, that we are finite. 
We have been created. God is the creator. God is infinite. And when we think of all of his attributes and all of his characteristics, how can finite man compress it all into a simple sentence? I think the reality is this is really just a very brief summary of what God is. A brief summary. Not dealing with everything, not dealing with the great depths of God because as mere mortal man we cannot go into those depths because God is above us. God is above us. But we have this great statement that reveals to us something of whom God is as we see in the scriptures. And there are these characteristics of God, these attributes, or to use a term that for many seems to be preferable, the perfections of God. Not merely attributes. You could speak of attributes in regard to a man. A man might have, a man might be strong. A man may have a nice accent. I get that sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. A man uh, may be brave and courageous. A man may be smart or intelligent. Uh, But there is a limit upon that. There is a limit. A limit to his strength. A limit to his intelligence. A limit to every attribute that he has. There is a limit to man because man will one day die. There is a limit. But when we come to God, God has all these attributes. They are perfections. He is good. And he is perfectly good. He is powerful. He is perfectly powerful because he is omnipotent. He has unlimited power. He has holiness, not just a little holiness, But he is all holiness. And therefore the term perfection is a very good word to use to describe these attributes of God. When we think of this and we think of these attributes, this is man looking at God. And we must understand that God relates to us on the basis of these perfections. This is who God is. And this is how he relates to us. If your pastor was loud and angry and harsh, maybe sometimes he is loud, but hopefully not angry and harsh, and has a bad attitude, and thinks he's always right, and that he's above you in experience and knowledge and power, and nobody ought to stand against him, what is going to happen? Those characteristics will raise their ugly head if there's an interaction. If you approach the pastor, or if you ask him a question, there's going to be a problem because of who he is and those attributes and those characteristics. The same is true if your pastor is the complete opposite. There will be love and mercy and grace. And so when we think of God, because of who he is and his perfections, he interacts with us on that basis. He interacts with us as a holy God and as a righteous God, as a good God and a powerful God. And what perhaps is one of the greatest interactions or works that God has with us? It is the work of salvation, the work of redemption. Men will say that a holy and just God is the God of the Old Testament, a tyrant, a God who is very different than the God we see in the New Testament, who is a loving God and a merciful God, but they're wrong. In the Bible, we have one God. The God of the Old Testament, who is also the God of the New Testament. And God in both Testaments is a God that is in harmony. He's not a God who has changed his mind. 
from what he was in the Old Testament. We can think of ourselves. We lived a certain way before we were married. After we were married, well, there had to be a change. We cannot do things the same way. Because we now had a spouse. And when we think of that division between the Testaments, it doesn't mean that God was different. It doesn't mean that there was a different God. It simply means that the Old Testament revelation had come to an end and the New Testament revelation reveals to us more of God and more of the plan of salvation, more fully as revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth remains, it is the same God. The same God. And it is vital that we as the church of Christ and as believers have the right view or the right comprehension of God. That the doctrine that you believe about God is right and it is biblical. And so what about your doctrine of God tonight? What do you believe about God? It is important. Is your doctrine and what you believe about God right? Is it biblical? Have you tested it against the truth of Scripture? When we think of the attributes of God or the perfections of God, they work together in perfect harmony in the gospel of Christ. It's a perfect harmony. A perfect harmony. These attributes, these perfections are not working against each other in the gospel. God is not in conflict when it comes to holiness and justice and his goodness and mercy towards sinners. There is no division here. There is no conflict. Everything is in perfect harmony. And we think, how can that be? How can that be? Well, I want us tonight to consider the perfections of God in the gospel. The perfections of God in the gospel. And firstly, I want you to see that the gospel of God has an infinite aspect. The gospel of God has an infinite aspect. We don't see that in the bulletin. We have it here, however. The catechism says that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal and unchangeable, infinite. And what does that mean? God is infinite. It means that, firstly, he is not a created being. We are finite, but the Greek for infinite signifies without bounds or limits. Our God is a God who has no bounds. He is a God who has no limits. Thomas Watson the Puritan said that God is not confined to any place. He is infinite and so is present in all places at once. His center is everywhere, is everywhere. And that can be difficult for us to understand. If you take the pulpit this evening, I'm preaching here in Cloverdale. Reverend Gallagher is preaching in Prince George. I'm not preaching in Prince George. He's not preaching here. We're not preaching anywhere else because we as physical finite beings, are limited to one place. Maybe your supervisor at work thinks that you can be in two or three places at once or expects that, but the reality is we are limited to one place, existing in one place at one time. That is obvious. But God is different. God has no bounds or limits in that way. And his presence is here. His presence is found in other churches that gather together at the same time. Some of our members who may be watching online, the Lord is with them and the Lord's presence is with them as they worship with us online. How can that be? Because God is not limited. And we can struggle to understand that. 
In 1 Kings 8, verse 27, we read, Behold the heaven, and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. There are many other verses we could turn to as well, but the truth is there. The heavens cannot contain God. He is everywhere. He is infinite. And that is an important and vital doctrine. We're thinking of God's omnipresence. He who has no bounds is everywhere. He who has no bounds sets the bounds for everything else, including man. And this truth reminds us when we think of the gospel of God. It has an infinite aspect. It reminds us that God is in all places at once, that he governs all things himself, not by governors or by proxy, but himself. King Charles III cannot be in all of his kingdom at once. He's limited to sitting on his throne or going to a particular event. He is in one place at one time, but yet his influence is felt everywhere. Why? Because he has representatives, those who represent him. But God is everywhere. God is everywhere. And the infinity of God points to his divine majesty. It points to him caring for all of his children. And so how do we consider this in light of the glorious gospel? Psalm 21 verse 8. And here the psalmist, David, says, Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. And the wicked cannot flee from God, for he is everywhere. He sees their sin. He sees the wicked. There is nothing that is hid from him. And when we think of that in the gospel, dear unbeliever, God sees your sin. It is not hid from him. You cannot sin without God finding out why, because he is everywhere. He sees our sin. The doors may be closed. The blinds may be down. The light may be off. No man knows where we are. No man can see, but God sees. Nothing can be hid from him. We're reminded, be sure your sin will find you out. And therefore God sees our sin because of who he is. God sees our iniquity. God sees our attempts at righteousness that are really filthy rags in his sight because we know not Christ. Dear believer, God sees you too. He sees his child sinning. And the infinity of God teaches us that God sees the sin of man. That's a warning to us as the Lord's people. God sees our sin. Let us, by God's grace and the help of his Spirit, deal with that sin, that he does not see that sin because through his strength we're not committing such sin. When we think of Cain, in the book of Genesis, it says he went out from the presence of the Lord. That means he left, as it were, that Old Testament church. He left the visible signs of God's presence. It does not mean he escaped the presence of Almighty God. Many would say, well, he left the presence of God. God could not see where he was. He escaped from the presence of God. That's not what it means. God still saw him. God saw his sin. God saw his wickedness. But he went out from, as it were, where God was worshipped, from his family. He did not go out from 
the presence of God in the sense of disappearing, where God would know not where he was. And so there is that challenge to us. God sees your sin. That sin cannot be hid. And that sin is open. And that sin is obvious in the sight of God. He sees it for what, he is, for what it is. But then secondly, we see that the gospel of God spans eternity. The gospel of God spans eternity. Psalm 90 verse 2 tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, an eternal God. We all have a beginning and an end. If you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we see this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born. We have a beginning and a time to die. We have an end. And there's a great reminder there of the frailty of our lives. James 4 verse 14, for what is life? And the answer is given that life is a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. We're reminded in scripture, man is frail. We're reminded day by day in the frailty of life that man will one day die. But what of God? Does God die? Will God die? Well, Scripture tells us differently. Scripture teaches the eternity of God. The eternity of God. And we see that 1 Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. The God who is alive for all eternity. The one who has no beginning and no end. And therefore he reigns upon his throne. He judges men. God is eternal and man is not. Man will one day die. And when we think of the eternity of God, we need to consider ourselves contrasted with that. One day we will die. And God is eternal. God is against the wicked. God will judge the wicked for all eternity. And he can do so. Why? Because he is eternal. Hell is for all eternity. Why? Because God is eternal. But there's a comforting thought found in the doctrine of the eternity of God in the gospel. Namely that God comforts his people for all eternity. There is eternal life. Everlasting life. The godly can suffer in this world but yet in eternity they will be forever with the Lord. With the Christ who died for you. The Christ who died for me. We can think of John 3.16 that reveals to us the glorious gospel of Christ. That we will not perish but have everlasting life. We are to think upon eternity. We're to live in light of eternity. We're to live in light that we will not die and that's the end. But we will die and there is eternity. And we are to prepare for eternity. The eternity of God that he is everlasting to everlasting reminds us that we are to prepare for our own life after death. Thomas Watson said the thoughts of eternal torments are a good antidote against sin. Remind us that our sin must be dealt with. Our sin must be dealt with. The gospel of God spans eternity. Dear unbeliever, there is an eternity. And the gospel of God deals with that eternity. 
It's not an eternity with Christ in heaven. Or it's not an eternity with Satan in hell forevermore. I want you to see thirdly here that the gospel of God is undeserved. The gospel of God is undeserved. This glorious gospel by which we are saved and by which we are redeemed is undeserved. We're not saved. I am not saved because there is anything good within me, but because of the goodness of God. And we can think of his mercy and his grace and his love. Turn with me to Psalm 33, the 33rd Psalm and verse number 5. Here the word of God says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord. Our God is a God who is good. There are many other verses we could turn to, but for the sake of time we'll leave it there. It's very clear. The earth is full of the goodness of God. God is merciful and God is gracious and God is loving. And when we think of his goodness... We're here tonight because of the goodness of God. You're hearing the gospel because of the goodness of God. You perhaps have believed the gospel because of the goodness of God. We're here as God's people to fellowship and worship him because of the goodness of God. How marvelous that is. His mercy, his goodness are sweet. It is a free mercy. It is overflowing goodness. It is a eternal goodness we have a God who is good God who is merciful and how is he good in the gospel because there is a gospel because there's a way of salvation because the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins upon Calvary because whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the goodness of God seen in his gospel that sinners can be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, you tonight trusting in the goodness of God? Have you experienced it? Are you rejoicing in it? Because your soul has been cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb. But there's a warning here. We're not to abuse the Lord's mercy. We're not to sin and claim that God is good and therefore he won't judge me. We're not to sin and engage in sin and live for sin and then be of the opinion God is good and merciful and therefore I can do whatever I like. No, God is just and God is holy. But in his goodness there is a great and glorious way of salvation. Notice here, fourthly, the gospel of God is all truth. It is all truth. The gospel of God is infinite and eternal truth. Where would we be if this glorious gospel was not true? Our God is a God of truth. Our Savior was a preacher of truth. Our church, by God's grace, is a bastion of truth. That is what the church is, the pillar and ground of the truth. And the church must preach the truth of God. Psalm 57 verse 10 says, For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, that's the goodness of God, and thy truth unto the clouds. God's truth is a great truth. Great truth. And God's truth is seen in that his promises never fail. I want you to turn to Titus 1 verse 2. Titus chapter 1, the verse 2. And there it says, speaking of Christ and the gospel, in hope of eternal life, which God 
that cannot lie promised before the world began. Our gospel is a gospel that is founded on what God says. And God is a God who cannot lie. Do you believe it? What a comfort that is to your heart. We're resting in a gospel. We're resting in a savior. We're resting in a God who cannot die. What a comfort that is. What a glorious promise we can depend upon when times are hard and tough and we begin to wonder about salvation and are we really saved? Well, how do we know we're saved? How do we know about the gospel? Well, we've believed on Christ. We've trusted him as our savior. And our God cannot lie. We've trusted his word. He cannot lie. Oh, what about the truth of God that is revealed in Scripture? It tells you of your sin and of your depravity and of your wickedness. It tells of your judgment. And these are not the inventions of man. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin, depravity, wickedness, judgment are not the inventions of man. They are the truths of God himself. The God who cannot lie. Dear unbeliever, you need to take these things seriously. God's word is true. God's gospel is a true gospel. Because God is true and that gospel must be heeded. And that gospel must be believed. We see fifthly, the gospel of God is exclusive. It is exclusive. Our God is the only wise God. He knows all things. It was Solomon who received his wisdom from the Lord. And in the wisdom of the Lord, salvation is offered by God. It's offered in the gospel. It is an exclusive thing in the sense that there is one way of salvation. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Peter Peter is preaching. What is he saying? He's filled with the Holy Ghost. And being filled with the Holy Ghost, he says, there is no other way of salvation other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the wisdom of God, this is the way of salvation. Man has his own ideas of salvation, but God is the infinitely wise God who plans salvation. What are man's ideas of salvation? Well, man will say, all are saved. It doesn't matter who you are. All will go to heaven. Men say that. Religious men, leaders in churches say that. I've said that before, I believe. I'll say it again. I was present when a man said that. It's a funeral of a relative. And the comment was made that this relative was in heaven because he trusted in Christ alone for salvation, the biblical way of salvation. What did this, not merely a minister of a church, but a man high up in the rankings of Episcopalianism. A man who was retired, so in other words, he had experience and maturity. He's a man, 70s, maybe 80 years of age. What did he say? Sure, we're all going to heaven anyway. It doesn't matter whether he trusts Christ. It doesn't matter whether he rejected Christ. He's still in heaven. It's not what the Bible teaches. 
What does the Bible say? You must be born again. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Repent and believe the gospel, the Savior said. Man says good works, or religion, or being nice, or going to church, or paying our tithes, helping others. None of these things can save, but man believes in them. Man believes in them. Protestants believe in these things. Protestants are relying on these things for salvation. Wherever they got that idea, I do not know. But I've talked to those who firmly say they are Protestants. They believe in the Protestant faith. They believe in the Reformed faith. But they're trusting in all of these things for salvation, not in Jesus Christ alone. That is God's way. It's an exclusive way. And if you're relying on anything else, your family, your good living, coming to this church, whatever it is, that will not save your soul. Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is God's exclusive way of salvation. And when we think of the wisdom of God, we think that he knows all things. We think of the eternally wise God. That is his way of salvation. Who are we to argue? Who are we to argue? If I was to say tonight that for lunch... Well, for lunch I had pizza, and then I had some salad, and then I had a coffee. Who's going to argue with that? What knowledge do you have to prove otherwise? You weren't in my home. My wife is being silent and not saying anything about that. So the only thing you have to go on is what I'm telling you. And when we think of God, the infinite God, the wise God, the God who is eternal and plans salvation. He's telling us to believe, repent and believe on Christ. Who are we to argue? We're finite man. He is our God, our creator, the eternal God, who says in his word, this is how men are saved. Let us trust the wisdom of God and let us not argue with him. For he knows more infinitely more than we ever will. He is the one who planned the way of salvation, the one who is the God of his gospel. Let us not argue. Let us trust him. Let us trust him. We see sickly that the gospel of God is not impossible. It is not impossible. Men can be saved. And men can be saved, how? Through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the power of God. And we think of Romans chapter 1, the verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The power is there to save and redeem. Paul said, and Paul is writing this, what did he say? I am the chief of sinners. The chief, the greatest sinner. And the power of God was such that he could be saved. Oh, the omnipotent power of God, the power of the cross. Dear believer, rejoice in the power of God and salvation. Unbeliever, there's power to save. Christ can save you. Christ can save the chief of sinners. And this is a great comfort to the church of Christ. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord, the powerful Lord. The Lord who is omnipotent. 
the Lord who can save. We're not preaching a God with no power. We're not preaching a weak God or a feeble God. We're preaching the omnipotent King of glory, the one who has the power to save. That is who the church preaches. A God who is not on vacation or a God who takes a break. No. God is ever-present, ever-powerful, ever-able to save. That is the God whom we serve as part of his church. Let us never forget that. Let us remember that he is a power to save. As Paul says, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Are you trusting that power? Are you believing that power? We see seventhly, and we might get through these, Seventhly, that the gospel of God deals with sin. And we say that dogmatically. The gospel of God deals with sin. We see the holiness and the justice of God. We won't turn to any references just for the sake of time. But God is a holy God. We're not going to dispute that. God is a just God. God who is holy, a God who is just. How then can a man be saved if he's filled with sin? We can understand the holy aspect. But what about justice? That sin needs to be dealt with. And the sin of man is dealt with either by the man himself facing the wrath of God or by Christ who is his substitute. Oh, are you placing your sins upon Christ? The one whom the scriptures say was made sin for us. We're facing the wrath of God, but the gospel deals with justice and how the Savior was our substitute and died in our place and took our sin and our punishment and the wrath of God for us that we would be holy the justice of God and God dealing with sin reminds us that judgment is coming judgment is coming there will be a day of judgment Hebrews tells us it is appointed unto men once to die But after this, the judgment, the judgment. Oh, that you would be ready for the judgment of God. How can you be ready for the judgment of God? Believe, repent from sin, look to the Savior, trust in him for salvation. And then finally, the gospel of God is immutable, immutable or unchangeable, unchangeable. The unchangeableness of God is referred to as his immutability and that is a wondrous wonderful and marvelous truth god is never different in his essence none of these perfections change and when we look at the work of god and salvation it doesn't change it doesn't change the name jehovah reminds us of god's immutable nature i am that i am i am always the same i am never different and god in his nature and his attributes and his power and his holiness never changes And this teaches us something wonderful about God's salvation, this plan of salvation, the way in which men and women are saved, it never changes. The same gospel that Paul preached, that saved sinners in the day of Paul, is the same gospel today. Why? Because God hasn't changed. And the simplicity of that message, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. James 1 verse 17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness 
neither shadow of turning. Simply believe. God has not changed that message because there's no variableness in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And because God is unchangeable, that is the gospel. Man has changed that because man is a creature that keeps changing. He says, keep this code, attend this church, perform this religious rite, go on this pilgrimage, do this good work. But God's word never changes. It says, believe, believe. And if you're not trusting tonight in the way of salvation proclaimed in the word of God, then you're not saved. You're lost. You're dead in your sins. Believer, what a comfort it is to know that God is unchangeable in the great promise and work of salvation in our hearts. We cannot lose our salvation. No man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. Why? Because God is a God of truth. And God is a God who is unchangeable. And if we have that genuine, that real work of grace within our hearts, God will not change his mind. He is an unchangeable God. He will not change the way of salvation. The hymn writer said, change and decay in all around I see, O thou that changest not, abide with me. We can rest secure in the plan of salvation. We can rest secure in our God who is unchangeable. We've covered a lot this evening. There's much more we could say about these eight thoughts. It's not normally my intention to preach eight points. I'm not going to try to improve on eight points and preach 12 or 14. But there's much there concerning God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So much there and so much we see in the gospel. Let us rejoice in our God. Let us rejoice that he is a God whom we see in the gospel in all his perfections, working in harmony and rejoicing that we are saved. Are you saved tonight? Are you trusting in the Lamb of God for salvation? Do you know the glorious God as your Savior, the God we've spoken of tonight, the God we've read about? Do you know him as your Savior? May the Lord bless his word tonight for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we rejoice in thy truth tonight. We thank thee for who thou art in the gospel. And while we've moved quickly and scratched the surface on many of these great truths, truths that have no depth because of who thou art, we pray that thou would apply these things to our hearts. And may we rejoice and rest in thy gospel knowing our sins forgiven, knowing that assurance that we have that all is well with our souls because thou art the God of the gospel. Father, we pray that thou would bless us, part us with thy blessing. We do think of the refreshments, the fellowship downstairs. We pray thou would bless it and accept our thanks for it. Bless our time together. May we honor and glorify thee. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.